Hello. Well, thanks for welcoming us, uh, Mitch, uh, to the panel uh, in front of my script. I'm in touch with the people that are here. I know. We're doing playing music and doing whatever you want. That's right. Uh, my name is Gianni. Uh, this is Mitch, who you've already met, uh, and this is Scott. We are Pixel Sift. We do a weekly video game podcast here in WA. Uh, today, we're going to do a live episode of our show uh, for you, as you can probably see. If you're sitting here or if you're listening at home, you'll be able to enjoy this on YouTube and everything there. It's pretty so, much the only difference is the cameras are bigger. That's right. That's, that's the it. only difference. Um, today, we're going to be talking about three different topics, and we've got some special guests to to join us on the panel a little bit later in the show. Um, the first topic we're going to be talking about is gaming with friends. We're all here, probably with our friends, going to play some games. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the best stories that we have from playing games with your friends. Um, our second topic, uh, we will be joined by uh, Anthony Sweet from Black Lab Games. We've got Mark Manel from Nomic Studios and Liam Hunt from Byte Sprite Games, uh, joining us to talk about releasing their indie game, uh, the things that they have done if they have released a game, what they did to prepare, um, and what they can expect once your game is out in the wild. And our final topic today is a bit of a Q&A session. We've been asking people throughout the week to give us questions about podcasting, games, anything here. If you're here in the audience, feel free to ask us questions as well, and we will uh, answer them as best we can. You can also ask the questions to our panel as well. from that there. But before we jump into it, we will welcome Brian Fairbanks. He's our intrepid reporter who gives us the shipping news every week to come up and give us the news for this week. Brian, thanks for joining us. I'm out. Thank you, Gianni. And I am Brian Fairbanks, and this is the shipping news for October the 1st. University athletes have descended on Perth this week for uni games, but this year a brand new competitive category has been introduced, eSports. Victoria's Monash University competed against Queensland University of Technology in a League of Legends tournament being held in the Northbridge Piazza on Thursday night. Australian University Sports CEO Don Knapp believes that eSports have an important place in uni and gaming culture, saying, the tertiary education community is embracing new technologies, such as esports, as tools to increase engagement of university students on campus. The student engagement opportunities that have resulted from the inclusion of League of Legends in our events, culminating in the League of Legends University Finals, have been embraced by our member universities and, most importantly, the broader student market. I went down to the Northbridge Piazza to check it out and spoke with some of the spectators. Here is what they had to say. It's great, you know, it's a different view on life. Like some people think it's not possible, but it actually is. It's, it widens the viewing area of what people think is gaming and you just learn a lot more what it, what it is. Just because it's not physical doesn't mean you can't do it. If a lot of people like the ga- a game, like something, of course fans will become it and people that's good at it will start competing. Monash University began the evening with difficulty, losing the first game due to QUT's incredibly focused and cohesive team gameplay, but winning the next three and ultimately the gold. 
utilizing a strategy that began as conservative but quickly supporting each other in team battles, Monash nearly always triumphed over QUT when groups met on the battlefield. The QUT, QUT team were the favorites to win and they placed highest in the qualifying games with Monash one loss away from elimination during both the qualification and semifinal brackets. Congratulations to all those who took part and Monash for taking away the gold and the glory. The Advertising Standard Authority confirmed to Eurogamer Thursday morning that it will be launching an official investigation into the possible misrepresentation of No Man's Sky on Steam. The investigation is still in its infancy, but the ASA will determine what users are actually receiving when they purchase the game versus what was advertised according to Eurogamer. When the ASA has limited power to force removal of misleading advertisements, they state that often bad publicity is a more powerful tool to use against possible offenders to encourage compliance. While the release of No Man's Sky has faced heavy criticism for failing to live up to the hype of the game, IGN has reported that this hype has been created by rabid fans and journalists, and not the development team at Hello Games. Hello Games' Sean Murray has been consistently candid about possible limitations due to a small release team, and of course, many players do remain satisfied with the game. GX has just announced that it will be coming back to Australia in 2017 after hosting a wildly successful conference this past February. GX Australia is aiming to be the most inclusive convention for gamers and geeks of all types and ages, hosting topics including game development, cosplay, tabletop, and more. It's a weekend where Star Trek and Star Wars fans can set aside their differences and make friends, where you're appreciated and loved no matter what mana color your Magic the Gathering deck is, and where you're accepted for who you are even if you prefer the PS4 to the Xbox One. GX has stated that the GX started in the U.S. as convention aiming to create safe spaces for the LGBTI community, and this is the second year it has run in Australia. Speaking of February's convention, organizer Josh Meadows particularly louds GX's inclusivity across the board. You can find more information at gxaustralia.com or listen to our interview with Joshua Meadows from earlier this year on the first GX Australia in episode 17 of Pixel Sift. Brian, thanks for the news. Thank you, Johnny. Did you know PixelSiv is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the PixelSiv website. Yes, Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans will never be friends. They can be, you know. They won't be. It just won't happen. There's got to be some fan fiction out there that uh, combines the two in a world where you can email Spock that to Johnny Solo. at no. Yeah. Um, today we're going to be talking about games with friends. Uh, that's where you're playing multiplayer with each other, together, or it might even be when you're playing in the same room and uh, enjoying the experience of being a game together. Uh, Being a game. Being a game, playing a game, the game of life. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about uh, some of the games that we played from our younger days, some of the games that we played recently, some of the fun that we've had playing games with our pals. Two of our panelists today are making local multiplayer games, which are going to be coming out a little bit later, enjoying that experience. And it's something that we've always found uh, that seems to be uh, common with indie game developers uh, who are making games these days. Guys, what are some of the great games that you guys have played throughout your life? Um, well, the quickest ones to come to mind are the ones I'm still doing, I guess, like um, your Battlefields and your whatnots, uh, even GTA, I guess. 
Um, one of the guys I play with, especially online, Sean, he's got like a bunch of friends in India that he plays with because of the time differences. Like when he when he wants to play, they're like the biggest community that he has. So he's got like a score of like Indian friends that he just games with. Your gaming pals. Yeah, gaming pals. So he plays like you know, specific games with each different group. What is it about the, the games that you are playing that keeps you playing them and what uh, hooks you in with the community that you guys play? Oh, so for the games like that, so like with the Battlefields and the Rainbow Six and your shooters and whatever, it's, uh, I guess, the fact that they're basically only online multiplayers. You don't have much choice outside of, you know, playing online with friends. And you were also playing a lot of uh, the recent Diablo 3 on was, console, yes. on the couch with your mates. Um, what were some of the experiences that you had when you were playing through that? I don't know. Like, I just... There's a great mechanic in Diablo where it just highlights you if you're playing on the same screen. You just push a button and it like puts a big beacon on you, and I think like that just annoys the hell out of anyone not using it. And I think that really brings people together. Mitch, you've played a lot of Destiny in your time. Oh yeah, uh, spent a lot of time raiding um, and playing uh, the the short missions, the Vault of Glass, all yep. these sort of things like that. What is it about playing with all your friends online? I'm fortunate enough to play games with a lot of people I know in real life. So these are people that I've known from primary school, high school, and now university. And I think just, just giving us a new avenue to hang out and like just like some a new environment to go on adventures, I think that's pretty valuable. And I think that's something only games really offer. Also, it does kind of bridge geographical barriers. Like one of our friends went over to New Zealand for about a month and it's like he never left. And I think that is just one of the power of video games that people often forget about. I think like friends or the idea of having friends online or in gaming is something that kind of, I guess, hasn't really been taken seriously as it can be taken now because of the advancements in internet and gaming and etc. But like the links between having games online and games, uh, sorry, friends online and friends in real life are basically the same, you know, like say if you were to stop playing that game, you might lose those friends, but like it's the same as if you quit a job or if you move areas sort of thing, you know, you lose friends, you gain friends, so it's no, like, the, the similarities are the same regardless of online or real life. And the people that you play with often are the ones that you will continue to come back to throughout, throughout yeah, your life. Yeah, I remember... Move to another game with them or something. It's probably know? a very fond game of, uh, of everyone's hearts, but the GoldenEye from, uh, on the Nintendo 64 is one of the first sort of multiplayer games that I really remember playing uh, at great length uh, with, with friends and there's people who I've played with at that point who are still playing games with me today. Though one of the best multiplayer games that I ever played was actually Final Fantasy 7. For those of you who don't know, that's a completely single player game, but the uh, the PlayStation uh, console had a second controller port, and I spent a lot of time telling my brother, who's just sitting over there, that he was actually playing all the second characters uh, in that so which game. Which character was he? He was any character, it didn't matter, he thought he was controlling the battles, and that was fine, because that means no. I didn't need to hand it over. So, okay. you know, that was a really fun experience for us to... to Alright, let's call his ass out. How long did he... That he was quite young at the time. Oh, okay. He was quite young at the time. Right. I mean, it was it was like eighteen or nineteen or something like that. <laughs> so, so not yesterday. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't yesterday. It was like two weeks ago. Or right. something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that sort of experience where even if you're sitting on the couch with other people and enjoying the experience of playing games is really valuable. I mean, we could all we need to do is have a look at the rise of things like Twitch and online streaming, uh, where people can all share in the experience of watching one person play a game, and it's really uh, this sort of shared experience it that everyone brings a community aspect to single player I think achievements also help with that like bring a competitive aspect to single player as well like you could actually keep score and like a quantifiable difference between your friends yeah there's also some study that backs up the fact that games can help uh, especially children uh, curate their own kind of social uh, areas um, I think it was a 
study at uh, Oxford University that said children who play video games in moderation are less aggressive, more sociable, and have fewer emotional problems and do better at school with their peers. You know, like why didn't someone tell my parents that? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, exactly high school sort of study that I want to um, bring out well, there. Like I said, the the idea of friends in gaming and gaming in general has changed over the years. We all know that it's kind of on the up and up. That's right. There's many different types Where as we well. Are, you know. Exactly right. Pixel sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel Sift. Well, look, uh, I'm sure everyone's going to go and play a few games with their, their friends later today, um, but we might now welcome our friends uh, from uh, our, our select panel to the stage and we can have a chat about releasing their indie game to the world. Uh, two of them have released their game um, and one is in the process of releasing now in the ramp up to that. Uh, I'd like to welcome Anthony Sweet from Black Lab Games to the stage. Am I getting kicked out now? Yeah, you're yeah. out. Mark Manell from Nomic Studios. And we might need to scooch over a bit. Uh, and Liam Hunt from Bites Bright. I'm just bringing that chat. Are you sharing a microphone? We are. Unfortunately, yeah. Scooch. Thanks for joining us today on uh, Pixel Sift. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Now, you guys are all game developers. You've worked at different stages of the game. You have, uh, some of you have released games on console. Some of you are aiming to do so. Uh, what I might do quickly, just kind of get you guys to introduce yourselves, uh, tell us a little bit about the games that you've worked on um, and uh, what it is that you've made. So, Liam. All right, so I'm Liam Hunt from Brightspite. Uh, I've worked on games such as uh, Bramblelash, which is the one we're demonstrating today. It's a game where you can connect with friends with a tether cooperate to destroy enemies and you can also betray each other to win an individual victory. So it's a local multiplayer game. I've also worked on serious games with organisations like WA Health, uh, the Telephone Kids Institute and the Australian Navy. Anthony. Nice. I am Anthony Sweet, lead designer at Black Lab Games. We recently released the console ports of our sci-fi strategy game Starhammer the Vanguard Prophecy. Uh, what type of game is it? Oh right, sure, of course. <laughs> uh, Starhammer is a sci-fi tactical game. Um, uh, we use a uh, what we call a WeGo system, so it's not quite turn-based. It's not quite real-time. Uh, it's a, if you imagine, uh, if you have the player and the AI both give their commands at the same time, and then you hit the go button, and there's a simulation of the next seven or so seconds that play out. So it's a kind of in between WeGo, uh, in between real-time and turn-based. And Mark, I'm Mark Manol. I'm a developer at Nomic Studios. Uh, we released Square Heroes on PlayStation Four in. March this year and the year before on Steam. Very first Western Australian game to be released on. I believe so. On PlayStation, PlayStation Four. Yeah. Because you guys aren't quite on there yet. Close. No, no, we are. We're oh, on we PlayStation are Four. Yeah, but we're on second. Yeah, but okay. we're on Xbox as well. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool. All right. Now you guys have all been working on games, and it's something you work for. A, get your facts right, Johnny. Um, that you've been working on for a long time. How do you know when you're at the point where you're ready to release your game? <laughs> when your publisher tells you to. Um, yeah, no, um, with Starhammer, we work with a publisher, Slytherin Games, um, over in the UK. And um, essentially, we had a certain process that, um, and a, a progress we had to go through um, and certain milestones that we meet. And uh, when the game was to the extent where we were happy with the gameplay, we were happy with the visuals, um, put it through the beta test, uh, beta test goes, and because we're working with the publisher, they had their own process for the beta test instead. Um, and once we go through that whole process and the marketing plans have been done up and we start enacting out all the marketing, um, 
essentially like it gets taken out of our hands a little bit there. So is it a bit of a back and forth sort of process? A between lot, yeah. When yeah. we're working with a publisher as opposed to just releasing by yourself, there's a lot of back and forth and teamwork between like just trying to mar- uh, trying to marry up and reconcile like the, what we have planned for development, but also like just the sheer reality of a, a business of a publisher wants to, has a marketing plan that they want to get out that have to meet certain deadlines there and yeah so it's just a, quite a lot of collaboration there and mark you've released your game earlier this yeah. year on playstation 4 and steam earlier before that right so for us we didn't have a publisher it's kind of up to us um and that's that's a good question because that's a hard line to to draw and assign when when are you ready to release as a developer you can kind of continue improving things forever and you can see things wrong with it and you always want to make it your vision in your head and you could spend 10 years perfecting that and so I think you have to be uh, harsh on yourself to, to set up your goals beforehand and so we're going to meet that and we're going to release them and, um, and yeah, and try to try achieve that. So Is it valuable to get feedback from other people even though you're not going to a publisher but from people around you to say, look, this is looking good? Absolutely, yeah. And they've got to be brutally honest as well. So not just your friends. Um, and that's what conventions like because the Perth Game Fest unpacks how far that, right? So yeah, you get a, get a good feedback. For us, the, uh, the point at which we are planning on releasing and we're approaching now is when we can give the game, game design-wise, give the game to a set of players and get them to pick it up, start the game, play through it, and finish it, and hopefully enjoy it without us interjecting at all, which we're trying to test for today. So hoping they can you know, do everything independently. So this is a question for you, Liam. Now, you're very close to releasing your game. Yes. What is the first stage uh, for moving it from working on the game into your release sort of uh, plan? The first stage? Yeah. Um, for us, it's uh, sorting out the back end in terms of making sure that we're ready to deploy on places like Steam and Xbox. So making sure our storefront kind of representation is you know, all sorted out, ready to go, um, and ready to distribute. Anthony, did a lot of that sort of stuff come through working with a publisher? Was that a lot of the back-end stuff helped out, or was that still something that you guys had to work on? Yeah, something that we found really valuable working with the publisher was um, they handled all the paperwork, and we didn't have to touch the paperwork with, um, unless there were specific questions, technical questions that they had to ask of us. Um, but we found it very, very helpful that we could focus on just making the game as uh, playable and as good as we could in that short amount of time and uh, the publisher was able to handle all the things like classification ratings you know like they handle all the paperwork and all the um, submissions for all that kind of thing which can take up a lot of time I know? can second so. that I don't underestimate it and the marketing you know the non-game development mm. stuff it's a huge amount of work it's yeah. a huge amount of work don't underestimate it yeah how long did it take you between for each of your release cycles that you had Mark because you were working by yourself you are in a team of two basically. three yeah three, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, we, we're doing it while we're developing. So, so you know, we're, we're spending late nights sending emails and, and trying to contact marketing and use marketing companies and things like that. And there's also a, there's a certification process for releasing on the consoles as well, isn't there? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They're pretty harsh as well. Um, they've got to, you know, they've got to meet their standards. So you get it back a few times, go fix this and that. And yep. Get it back to them. Mm. So what are some of the things that you kind of hear talked about when people are releasing games, I guess from general gamers, that are kind of a misconception about the way that games are made? I think uh, what Mark said is entirely true, you know, having to do the marketing and business side of it and filling out the paperwork. No one who goes into indie games development really thinks that through before they start, I think. This is a very broad statement. I certainly didn't. Um, I mean, you think of all the glamour of showing it off and demonstrating a game and watching people have fun with it. Uh, but the actual development side is, you know, about half of what you actually do, which really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and now you guys have uh, released games. Uh, how was the experience of actually putting it out there and having people kind of playing your game? Um, so from our experience, um, maybe just like releasing on Steam, you know, you click that button launch, you're not quite sure if it's launched yet. Um, it's kind of surprising the next thing you refresh the page and 100 downloads. And, and that's your biggest, you know, your launch is usually your biggest um, uptake on the game, right? And then it's like the typical graph that goes down like that. Um, and so that's, that's a little scary moment, you know, you, you're exhausted usually as well when you press that button. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what's the feeling like when you've actually released it? You've sort of talked a little bit about that and you got to do that twice because you've had right. two big platforms. Right. So it's exhausting. I mean, you kind of like, Whoa, finally. And, um, you know, uh, the best part about it is probably um, watching people play a game on YouTube or something like that. That, that is just the best. And watching them have fun and play a game. Anthony? Um, elation and terror at the same time, right? Um, like, on the one hand, there's something you've been working on, you're putting your heart and soul in for months or years at a time, and you finally get to go onto Twitter and say, hey, look at this thing I've been working on. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, but then also, like, there's a lot of people on the internet that really don't care about you as a person, right? And they're quite happy to talk about your game in a way that probably isn't very nice. So read the YouTube comments. <laughs> yeah, like, um, and like we've released on four platforms now. So we've got uh, Steam, iPad, PlayStation, Xbox. And like the difference between all of those has been huge. And a lot of that has come down to um, just how much feedback the players are actually allowed to give based on those platforms. Because right? Steam is quite easy to leave feedback to the developers. And I've had my heart broken reading some of our reviews right because wow. like i mean we've got a relatively high well pretty high rating actually of positives but some of those negative reviews are just gut-wrenching to read um whereas the more recent xbox and playstation releases like there's no definitive way to give feedback to a developer through the store there's no comments to leave there so like we have this many stars and our metacritic is a certain numbers and we're like this is great, you know? I don't have to read someone telling me that uh, they think my game is swear word, so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Liam, now what are you gonna do with your upcoming release? Are you gonna be locking it down as much as possible? Are you gonna be saying, we don't wanna hear what you say about our game, just buy it? No, no, no. <laughs> just, just, just we, homicide, just sue. Yeah, just sue everyone, <laughs> you bad. Allegedly. No, Allegedly. no, after these stories, we're not gonna release it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, that's no, it. Uh, could, I don't want that sort of criticism. You could play it today at Perth Games Festival, but that's it. Yeah, after that's that it. shuttering show, I'm gonna be a suit and tie and a job. Uh, Anthony, Liam, Mark, thank you very much for joining us today and talking about the releasing your game. Now, if you're around today, go and play uh, some of uh, Liam's game over in the Perth Town Hall. You can jump on almost every platform you could choose for to, to play Black Lab Games, uh, Star Hammer, The Vanguard Prophecy, and Mark's game on Steam and on PlayStation 4. That's right. Thank you very much. We'll get a hand. Pixel Sim! It's not Pixel Sieve, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sieve! Now we're doing a bit of a Q&A session, so if you've got any questions, feel free to jump in. Um, all topics we can kind of talk about are to do with gaming, to do with podcasting, creating uh, media based on games, what you had to do to, to do all that sort of thing. Uh, we have had some questions that were sent in uh, throughout the week by listeners. Um, the first one comes from 
Uh, it comes from Michael D. Piazzi, who was joining us on the show for episode 49. He's a, a local developer based here in Perth. You can play his game over at the Town Hall. Um, and he asked us, what do you think is one of the most valuable things that you can do as a game developer uh, to make your game as easy to stream and play for people who do Let's Plays and, and Twitch streaming? Um, to kind of open up with that one, I think the first thing that I would say is uh, there is something that we always need um, from people every week whenever we're doing stuff is we need as much information as possible um, that we can get. So having a nice quality logo on, on your website um, that we can download, having a press kit. Rami Ismail is a developer. You can download uh, like a package that you can put on your website called Press Kit um, and you can put up all the docu uh, documentation on there, uh, blurbs about the game, who does what, uh, contact details, uh, media, video, all of that sort of stuff. The more that you can put up there, the easier it's going to be it definitely makes content creators jobs a lot easier when there's an actual press kit with everything on it like everything about your company and just like in a nutshell like whenever that's happening and we've gone to find that it's like oh yeah that's a dream that's nice yeah. it's a pretty <laughs> standard format as well so yeah. it's very easy to read it completely eliminates issues with you know misrepresentation of your product and business as well um, so that's kind of the key thing. Um, also thinking about the way that your game is actually designed. If you're having a lot of uh, user interface elements all over the place, um, a big thing for people who may not know about Twitch is that quite often streamers will want to have a video of them actually playing the game so you can see their face on an overlay of the screen as well. Um, so having a space where that sort of thing can fit in without overlapping over the top of the, the way your game is. Because you don't want to kind of block out too much, but you do need to kind of leave, leave a bit of space. It's it's a real estate game, really, though, so you kind of need to decide where, what's the best way to do it. That being said, not at the expense of your own gameplay, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I think gameplay is uh, obviously something to do to do first, um, but it is a consideration that maybe someone might drop their face over the top of a, you know an important design element. So... Um, one of the other questions we got was from Elliot Eustini, um, and he asked about cross-console gaming. Um, he says, is it something that is a practice that's currently occurring? Um, and if not, do you believe it will in the near future? Uh, we have talked a little bit about this in our show uh, in previous episodes. Uh, there is a bit of a talk to do this. Uh, Vaughan, our videographer, is a big fan of the game uh, Rocket League, and they were one of the first ones to announce that they were going to be rolling out cross-platform multiplayer between Xbox and PlayStation 4. Um, they've always had sort of PlayStation 4 and, and PC multiplayer for a long time. Um, I think it's a matter of time. I I don't really know what's going to happen. The, it's sort of the people who are in the, the back foot position have to try and have the sweeteners in order to get people to jump onto their consoles. So at the moment, it's Xbox that's talking a lot about cross-platform multiplayer um, because they are not in the same position as PlayStation because obviously everyone wants at Sony wants them to buy a PlayStation rather than play with their mates on an Xbox. Um, there, we have seen some workarounds with this as well. Uh, Minecraft... Uh, which was purchased by Microsoft, um, just announced that their Realms feature, which is a, like an online server, uh, will have uh, multiplayer uh, elements through that. So basically everyone just joins in and it doesn't matter what platform you're playing on, you can all join in that way. So that's kind of like a shared server sort of situation. I think it's... It, yeah. it is sad that the, that that is always the thing that comes up with the person on the back foot, like you mentioned earlier. Like the people that are on, like just losing in sales and the just the consoles just aren't out there want the cross-platform like just compatibility and then suddenly when the roles are reversed they're not about it and the other person is it just seems like we're going through that over and over again i think mainly the communication between the computer and consoles will be what comes first 
and then it will have to follow. Maybe one day we'll see one uh, system that overlaps over everyone and it doesn't matter. And then the fairies will come down and bring chocolate smiles to <laughs> boys and girls. Yeah. We can dream, we can dream. Yeah, um, Yeah. it's something we're going to see uh, a bit further in the track. Now, Scott, you have some, some questions as well. I've got some. And stick up your hand if you've got any questions about doing anything. We'll... Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got a, couple, a few here. I'll just go through a couple. These are from um, David Olive, who is a friend and avid listener. Uh, he asks, in recent years, curation has become a significant focus for the music industry, with services like Spotify and Apple Music attempting to provide a personalised service for music fans. With the rapidly expanding game scene, it could be argued that a similar service could provide value in the gaming space. While Steam has attempted to provide a basic service around curation, it hasn't been a major focus. Do you anticipate there being value in curation? Is word of mouth and YouTube enough? I would say that the YouTube, uh, so YouTubers and, and streamers and stuff is a form of curation um, that people will uh, get a lot of uh, benefit and sales if someone like PewDiePie plays their game. It's kind of the dream that I always hear from, from other people that they want. Why do you keep these... mentioning channels that are more popular than us? <laughs> if we play their game, obviously it's a huge, huge boost to their thing. But, you know, these big high-profile streamers who have got millions and millions of subscribers, um, it does have a big factor to it. Steam has tried this a little bit. Um, there is sort of a curated lists that people can create and attach their names to, to that. Um, there are a lot of games out there, and I think this is one of the criticisms of, of Steam uh, at the moment, is that it is very difficult once you have released your game to kind of keep in the, uh, the eyes of people that, you know, you get that kind of one shot at, at, uh, the, at the public and also the press when it originally comes out. But after that, you know, if someone is a, a diehard, diehard simulation game and they love spaceships, Unless they are looking for what is the best spaceship simulation game, they may not come across Starhammer. Or, you know, if they want to play a local multiplayer game, they may not come across uh, Bramble Ash or they might not come across Square Heroes. So I think there needs to be uh, some way that this kind of happens uh, through that. It, yeah, there needs to be a provision on it on the, on the stores. So Because of the nature of information about games being so readily available and you can just find out pretty much anything you want about any video game, the the... The concept of the high-profile curator really doesn't exist because everybody can pretty much find exactly what they're looking for. They don't need anybody to tell them that. So I guess the idea of the high-profile... Yeah, I somewhat agree with that. I don't know. I think we're running out of time for me to really challenge you on that too much. Um, I'll jump to the last... Um, yeah, later. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it to the we'll streets. Yeah. Off, yeah, See you outside streets. in the car park. Um, so David did have one more question. Uh, with some of the members of Pixel Sift also working within the music scene, what are their takes on the music game genre? Does DJ Hero piss them off? What do they think uh, of the soon-to-be-released Res Infinite? Um, I mean, DJ Hero doesn't really piss me off. No more than, like, you know the whole DJ culture not getting taken seriously. Um, uh, and as far as Res Infinite, Infinite, super excited for it. If anyone's ever played Res or like any similar games like that, I think that's kind of really groundbreaking as far as, uh, I guess, bringing music into a gaming realm. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't know. Does a game dev simulator uh, annoy the game devs in the room? <laughs> I think there are different <laughs> things. There was a bit of shake of head for those uh, listening on the on the podcast. No, I think they're different things. You know, they are a, a game that is based on music, but it's not music. Um, someone who plays DJ Hero is not going to go out and make a huge, you know, mixtape that's going to be amazing or get on SoundCloud or something like but that. For so. me, there's no real difference between like you know DJ Hero or, or DDR. It's all like you know timing tap type thing. Hey, what's that game that makes a track out of mu- music files? 
There's a game. Oh, Audio Surf. Or, is that Audio Surf? Yeah, there's quite that's a few. The coolest. Yeah, and music I think game I've ever seen. I think that's really interesting. So, um, look, uh, we've 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 kind of come to the end of our uh, talk today. So we have had some other questions. Sorry if we didn't get around to to getting your, all your questions. We'll be around for a while, so if you have any questions, feel free to come and grab us and we will have a chat. Thank you for joining us today. This is episode 50 of Pixel Sift. It's a milestone for us. We do this every week. Um, thanks for joining us. We will see you again uh, in a week's time uh, or we will see you over at the Perth Town Hall for Perth Games Festival. Thanks for joining us. Like and subscribe.